This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. weekend is not complete without the first lady of New York radio. It's the Joan Hamburg Show. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And you can hear this show every Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. Today's Joan Hamburg Show feels different. It is different because we had a death in the family. One of the Great broadcasters, one of the nicest guys you have ever met in our industry, kind and caring and solicitous, solicitous and a real talent, Bernard McGurk has passed away after a really courageous struggle with cancer. And Bernie, who was with Don Imus for a grown-up lifetime. And then when Imus retired, went to join Sidney, his partner, where they turned the morning show into the number one morning show of anyone. And I have to tell you, I love Bernie. There was no one kinder or nicer. When I first came to WABC after my previous radio station had been sold. Don Imus, whom I grew to love and became one of my friends, Imus was a true character. And he was not like the welcome committee when I first came. In fact, I remember sitting in a taxi going to my first day at WABC. I had been at another station for years and years and that got sold. So I was joining ABC. I was in the back of a cab, and the driver had Don Imus on the radio. And he said, I said, do you listen often? He said, I love this guy. And he's going to talk. Someone new has joined the station. I love to hear what he's going to say. So I wasn't paying that much attention. And suddenly, I hear him talking about me. And it wasn't a great compliment. You know, he was like, I don't know. Does she have any listeners? Who is she? What's she doing here? And Bernie, who was his co-pal, co-host, said, she's great. You can't talk about her like that way. You're going to love her. He said, how do you know? Bernie said, I know. And you're going to end up being a really good friend. And Bernie defended me like you cannot believe. And from that moment when I walked into the station, and nervous because I had been in another place for a lifetime, and here I am here, and he went out in the hall to greet me and said, come on, I'll show you around. Now, that takes a big effort, and he didn't have to do that. And he did it. And I never forgot that. And I always admired him, enjoyed him. He really 
was one of the greats in our industry. He was smart. He was funny. He was generous. Those are not attributes that you find all the time. People are sort of jealous of their jobs and their positions. Not everyone. We've got a station that really has become a family over our new ownership in the past few years. And it's become more of a very special place. And part of its heart was Bernie. So we are going to keep him in our hearts and try to remember all the lessons of kindness and humanity that he gave, and that is part of his legacy. So a day that is different for all of us because we know we're not going to hear him on Monday, but we will always hear him in our hearts and keep up the spirit that made him such a gifted and special human being. So we've got a lot of Joan Hamburg's show ahead. We've got from the New York Times, the one and only Sam Sifton, who just saying his name makes my mouth water. He's the great food editor of the New York Times. And one of the leading entertainment journalists in town is coming over. And this guy has interviewed every celebrity you've ever known, from Barbara Streisand on, Catherine Hepburn, everyone and knows all their secrets. He gets them to talk, and you're going to hear his secrets. And all this coming up next. So don't go anywhere. Stay tuned to The Joan Hamburg Show every Sunday starting at 2 o'clock. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Joan Eats. Every holiday, I make a special dish that was one of my friend's recipes and unfortunately she passed away a Judy Corman she was brilliant and great and a, an incredible friend and she was an incredible cook so every year I make her noodle pudding actually this year for some crazy reason, my daughter was asked to be in a noodle pudding, or they call it kugel contest. And she said, but I don't make noodle pudding. And the lady who had this contest said, it's okay, enter it anyway. And she did enter it, and she won. So we have a trophy for Judy Corman's noodle pudding, and it includes a pound of cottage cheese, three ounces of soft, softened cream cheese, two cups of milk, three eggs, less than a third of a cup of sugar, because it's sweet anyway. It also calls for the juice of a lemon, and truthfully, I don't use it. But I put in a half pint of sour cream, a cup of yellow raisins, and my daughter added dried cranberries and apricots and a cut-up apple in very small pieces and eight ounces of medium egg noodles and a little cinnamon. And you mix everything except for the noodles and cinnamon. And then once you have everything together, 
you add, now I put in uncooked noodles. Some people cook them, but I don't. And I pour into a well-buttered 9 by 13 baking dish with cinnamon on top. Bake an hour at 325 or until the top is a little crusty and light brown. It is really delicious. So a memory of a wonderful friend and a delicious recipe that you can take and make it part of your family's traditions. If I don't make it, everyone wants it. And it's the first thing that goes. You know, we had a holiday where people gathered to break the fast and it was everything, smoked salmon and every kind of salad you can think of. But this noodle pudding was like, I went back into to see what was on the table and the noodle pudding was gone, like the first go-round. So try it and let me know how you enjoy it. All right, guys, I love to eat and we eat every Sunday starting at two o'clock. So stay tuned. Much more ahead and I'm Joan Hamburg. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome to the Joan Hamburg Show. And I love when Sam Sifton visits. Sam is an assistant managing editor of the New York Times. And under his large umbrella is culture, lifestyle coverage. And he is the founding editor of New York Times Cooking. And guys, that is like my Bible. I use it all the time. My daughter just came up with some kind of pumpkin chocolate chip thing that was so incredible. And she said, it was from the New York Times. And the best recipes, I love it. And Sam has been food editor, culture editor, national editor, a columnist. He worked as a restaurant critic. You've worn so many hats and yet you never got a big head. You always yeah. came back to the real world. I guess I just can't keep a job, Joan. I just keep <laughs> moving around the newsroom looking for a perch. And there you got it. And, you know, we were talking. Uh, my producer is young, and she lives herself in an apartment in Manhattan. And she was saying that once the weather changes, she suddenly gets this urge to cook. Even if she's alone and doesn't have company for a dinner, she just feels like going to the market, going home, and making something really delicious. And you were talking about how it changes. You love weather days, and you just like the feeling of them. It's so terrific. You know, I'm running around all week at work doing stuff on the weekends. I like to get outside. I, I go fishing. I do all this stuff. And then the weather comes in and it pours in and it's windy and cold and rainy. And all I want to do is get to the stove and, and make something delicious, something that makes the house smell divine, something that offers sustenance to myself, to my family. I, I think I'd do it alone just like your producer does if there was no one around. There's just something meditative about cooking when the weather is bad and something helpful to the spirit in doing so. I know. I love it, too. And I love making big soups, especially if it's a rainy day. And I love the way the kitchen smells. You know, it's like 
Welcome. Come on in. Sit down. The soup's on. Exactly. And, and we haven't been able to do that for a couple of years because of the pandemic. And throwing open right. the doors on the weekend to, to friends and relatives and people just in the neighborhood is just a great joy. I'm glad to be back doing it again. I know. And I love and I don't remember when it came out, but I'm a big fan of Asian food and I've always loved shrimp toast. And you had the easiest recipe that I've ever seen. Do you remember that? You pureed the shrimp with scallions yep. and made a paste? Yeah, it's a very, very simple recipe. Um, you just do that. You, know, you do exactly what you said. You get an egg white in there to bind everything together. And then you kind of make a sandwich out of it with some white sandwich bread, fry that, hit it with some sesame seeds, and it's like you're at a dim sum palace. It's 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 just great. It's a it sounds classic. Of and what kind of oil bread. do you fry it um, in? I, I I use a neutral oil, something that has a kind of high smoke point. You wouldn't want to use olive oil. You'd want to use like canola um, or peanut something that um, has a high smoke point and won't burn in the pan when, when you're doing the frying. Yeah, and it just, it just sounds so delicious. And what I find amazing is that you guys are there if people have trouble, and the recipes are really very easy to follow. I hate when there are two-page recipes, you know, and no. you're lugging something in the kitchen. It just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, I think my days of project cooking and 14-page recipes are, are, are long gone. We like to keep it as simple and actionable as possible, and we have an incredible community of subscribers who leave notes on the recipes that I think improve them and help others get great results if they don't happen to have one ingredient or another. It's very, very supportive at New York Times Cooking. And I hope we're delivering a positive experience to everyone who subscribes. No, it's fabulous. And I saved that recipe for, they were, I think they were, they sort of look like meatballs that you made out of ricotta and used a tomato sauce that had a lot of basil. That's a terrific recipe as well. Um, and you can, you know, you can fill it out a little bit with pork uh, if you like. Um, you know, but I go pretty heavy on the ricotta and try and like get it to be light and fluffy. It's almost like, uh, it's like eating a cloud. Mm. And does your family eat a lot of fish? Uh, we do eat a lot of fish, particularly, uh, in, in, well, I was going to say particularly in the summer months, but I really, because we eat a lot of clams in the summer. Um, but the truth is, it's it's kind of kind of year round. I was really lucky this summer, Joan. I have a lot of friends who were out tuna fishing, and I got a lot of tuna this summer. So we were eating a lot of um, poke, the Hawaiian raw fish specialty, um, but also you know just plain raw fish for sashimi. I was making teriyaki tuna. I was we love to get some. <laughs> Free fish from friends. I know it well, and you know that when you have caught it yourself, that you can eat that. I sometimes wonder, even buying from good fish stores, whether we should be eating it raw, because I always picture it staying there maybe a day too long. 
Yeah, you can you can tell a lot with your nose. You can you can smell and touch and feel. But I think the most important relationship to have maybe in all of our uh, purchasing of food is with the fishmonger. If you trust your fishmonger, uh, you're going to get fresh fish. And and the best fishmongers are the one who, ones who move a lot of fish who are really busy. Um, that way, that fish isn't sitting around. It's come off the boat. Now, I want to be clear about something. Most of the fish that we eat is a little older than you think. It's exactly. been caught. It's been iced. It's, in some cases, been flash frozen. And that's okay if it's treated correctly and allowed to thaw correctly so that it's not shocked or flabby. You're getting a really good experience uh, on the mouth. Yeah, well, that sounds good. And we had mahi-mahi recently, and that was a fish that I very rarely bought. But they, uh, the fishermen said the water was too rough. They couldn't get bass or, you know, other things that I had asked for. But they had mahi-mahi, and it was delicious. Mahi is a delicious, delicious fish. Um, can be very mild and, and yet meaty. Um, and, uh, there's, I, I love a mahi mahi. It's not, you know, it's not a fish that we often get in Northeastern waters. Um, recreational anglers get it off shore, but sometimes we see it come into the market and it's a good idea to pounce, get out of your comfort zone. Don't just eat the bass. Can you believe, I mean, we're sitting and talking about weather change, about things we love, but, and I am talking to Sam Sifton who is with the New York Times. But before you know it, we're going to be talking about that old turkey again. And I was told that it's t- going to be tough getting turkeys. Yeah, I, I've heard that as well. But, you know, I'm I, I, I'm a little, um, I don't necessarily trust that. I, I talked to a turkey farmer out on Long Island from whom I get birds every year. And they had slowed production a little bit during the pandemic, but they're coming on strong right now. They've got a big field full of toms strutting around. And I'm hoping, as you know, Joan, I love Thanksgiving and I love roasting turkeys. I'm really looking forward to that part of the fall coming. I know. I actually love that, too. And one of our relatives is making a movie on a Caribbean island and he said that one of the pluses is it uh, there is a cook, like on every movie set or someone doing food, and that when she does poultry, she makes holes all over the chicken or the turkey and puts this spread, which is garlic and rosemary, you know, everything you can think of in all the little holes all over the bird and lets it marinate. And he said it was so delicious and tasty. Oh, that's great. That sounds fantastic. That sounds fantastic. I I remember a turkey recipe that I still love that involves putting an enormous amount of butter both on the bird and under the bird's skin and then supplementing that with herbs and showers of salt and pepper and that that makes for an ambrosial turkey, and I imagine would work very well on chicken as well. Yeah, no, that that really sounds delicious. Do you have regular meals? Like when I was growing up, we had certain things on certain days. It wasn't a lot of improvisation. It was 
Friday was roast chicken night or rib roast night, but it was consistent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, you know, I wrote a book about this called See You on Sunday, which was all about what I consider to be the important uh, gathering, weekly gathering of friends and family. And I would like to think that I'm providing, you know, different meals at different times of the year. But, it, you know, it comes back again and again to should I do a Sunday roast? Should I do a Sunday chili? Should I do a Sunday sauce in the Italian-American tradition? And these three or four different recipes become a kind of drumbeat to, to the year that allow me, a person who hawks recipes for a living, a person who's constantly developing new recipes, to go back the favorites that I know will please my family, that I know will please my friends, that will provide a kind of signpost to a week or a month or a season. And I take some comfort in that. That's how we get to be much better cooks, after all, is repeating a recipe on a steady cadence until it becomes our own. Right. And I know that whenever I would ask my mother for a recipe and she loved to cook and was a wonderful cook and cooked for the big family all the time. She would say, I don't know. I just do a little of this, a little of that. She would never really give me a recipe. You got to watch mothers like a hawk, Joan. (laughs) They're amazing cooks, but they are not going to give up their recipes because they cook instinctually. So you got to watch them. And I think, you know, I think this is an incredibly important thing to do in, in families that love food, to document what the, what the elders um, are bringing to the table so that we can, in turn, take those recipes and perfect them and, and make them our own. They won't be the same as your mother's, never, but they may be delicious in their own way. I and know. finding that deliciousness is really great. You know, there's your new cookbook. My mother's secret recipe. That's right. I can and get everyone's recipes because we all love that. that you know, and it's I'll... persistence of memory. Yeah. Well, it sounds like I'm going to have to come to your kitchen and, and cook with Joan Hamburg, America's mom, and figure out the secrets of your kitchen. Yeah, I would lo- I'd love that. You come over anytime. And <laughs> I know my stove talks to me. And, you know, it's such an interesting thing because I grew up with a ton of relatives, cousins, grandfather, whole kit and caboodle. And I was used to 10 people, 15, whatever, for supper. So even if I'm here alone, I have to do a meal. You know, it just doesn't feel right unless there's something in the oven or I'm thinking about what to make. It's almost too much. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is the life we have chosen, Joan. We, we got to cook because we, it makes us feel better and it makes others feel better. And when we don't do it, there's an absence in our, our lives. And you feel a little weird eating that takeout food. I'm not a takeout food guy, even though I love takeout food. I want to be cooking. Right. And you want to make it. And I feel the same way because when I'm cooking, even if it's just me, it brings back all the family, all the meals, and it brings back a different time. And that's what the joy of sitting down. I have a dining room in a very old building, 
And people say, I can't believe you eat in that old dining room. I mean, who has a dining room? I said, it's, <laughs> I love eating in my dining room. It makes Absolutely. me feel special, huh? Yes. I mean, this is, you know, this goes to an argument that I've been making for years, that food is culture, that it is a representation of who we are and where we came from and where we're going. And that culture needs a stage. And, and that stage may well be your dining room table. For others, it could be, uh, you know, a stool in the, in, in the kitchen. But I love the formality of, uh, of, a, of a set table of cloth napkins. Of, I know. Of I love littering. cloth napkins. Yeah, it's great. And it's uh, all you do is stick them in the washing machine. Or if you don't have a washing machine, just put them in a bowl of soap and water and that's it. There you go. And anyway, what are you going to cook uh, for the weekends? Anything well, new and special? I'm very excited this weekend to be heading to the New York Times Food Festival at Damrosh Park in, oh, in right. Lincoln Center on, on Saturday, where I'll be talking with the cast and crew of FX's The Bear, that great restaurant show that we all, many of us watched over the course of the fall and um, to tasting some good food there and then heading home in exhaustion to, I don't know, maybe I've been cooking a lot, Joan, with, with boneless, uh, skinless chicken thighs and making some kind of sauce or marinade and then just crisping them up in a hot pan and serving them on warm tortillas or over rice. And that's, that's been my sort of go-to over the course of the last couple months. That sounds really good. And now that the last of the tomatoes are still clinging to the farm stands, what could be better on really good white bread than oh a, tomato a tomato mayonnaise sandwich? sandwich? It's, it's one of the perfect sandwiches on earth. I tried to improve upon it last weekend with some beautiful late-season tomatoes by making I – I cooked a white pizza – a pizza with ricotta and mozzarella and some grated garlic on top. And I got it bubbling, bubbling, mm. bubbling hot and charred around the edges. And then I planked raw beefsteak tomatoes from the farm stand onto the pizza without cooking them onto the hot pizza and hit it with a spray of salt. And it was like a bruschetta crossed with pizza and was one of the most delicious things I ate this summer. Oh, my Even gosh, that sounds... Fun. We want to move into your house. <laughs> it sounds way. really delicious. But you know what? It's because you make food so much a part of our lives. It's more than eating. It's the family. It's your friends. It's your world. And that's what it brings back every time we turn right in the kitchen and look at those pots that are empty and know it's your turn to do something delicious with them. Well, thank you. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Thank you, Sam. Love talking to you, and we'll talk again. Likewise, and talk to you soon. Okay, and I'm Joan Hamburg, and you're listening to WABC, and you're probably hungry. So I'll let you take a little break to get a snack, and there's lots more ahead. Stay tuned.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The First Lady of New York Radio, Joan Hamburg. Entertaining and informative. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Bill Deal has interviewed more people than anyone can imagine. Celebrities, broadcasters, famous people. He knows the entertainment business better than almost anyone else. And he has been doing this for almost, maybe more, 50 years And it's really interesting when you talk to people and find out how they got started. Like, how does someone who didn't grow up in the world of entertainment get to do absolutely everyone? And I mean everyone. I have people on my wish list that he's interviewed years ago and continues. And Bill has done this for the ABC um, radio network for years and the best stars and he's written books 50 years of celebrity chatter is in paperback or the time I interviewed a porn star naked and you kept your composure which doesn't always happen I mean how many men or women go into one of their interviews and there's a naked person sitting there perfectly comfortable you survived all of it and are still at it. So welcome. I'm happy to have you today. Thank you. Thank you, Joan. And it's nice to be on uh, your show. And uh, I'm kind of like a homecoming because this is back at uh, ABC, WABC. And in my early days in the 80s, when I started covering entertainment news, uh, my programs and interviews and covering the Oscars and Emmys and everything, all the big entertainment events, uh, many of my features were heard on WABC. So uh, it's really, really uh, a good feeling. Let's put it that way. I'm glad. No, it's true. It's part of history. And it's also part of your history. But you started, you know, as a kid. How many 15-year-olds know what they want to do or sort of fall into it at that stage? And then it keeps growing and growing. And that was like you from building sets and things in home with kits. It suddenly became real. Well, you know, uh, I grew up in Corning, New York, uh, the glass capital of the world, as it's uh, sometimes called, the Crystal City. But uh, I loved radio from the very beginning. I had uh, bought a tape recorder and a little wireless microphone from a company out in Chicago. Uh, and the mic had a little antenna that uh, hooked up to a big shortwave antenna that we had from our house to the garage. And I discovered that I could broadcast on an AM radio for up to six blocks. And, uh, well, that that was great. My parents could hear me, and some of my neighbors could hear me. And then all of a sudden, the guy who was a ham radio operator across the street from us uh, came and knocked on our door. My father answered, 
and the uh, radio uh, operator, the ham radio operator, said, Mr. Deal, do you know that there's a radio station operating here? This could be illegal. You could be arrested by the Federal Communications Commission. Well, my dad was very nervous, got very scared, went into my little studio uh, in the basement and said, shut that thing down. So that was the end of my uh, little early radio career. But uh, luckily, a local station in Corning heard me. And, uh, well, that started my career as a young disc jockey, 15 years old. You know, and it's very hard to do celebrities or to get something really out of them. And you got stuff out of people like Jane Fonda, Rod Steiger, Jodie Foster, Mel Gibson, Catherine Hepburn, that most people couldn't even put a foot in the door or the celebrities would be very, you know, very punctual, but not tell anything. And what happened to you that gave you that gift of getting stuff out of people who never let anyone in? Well, you know, uh, my my wife often says that I did not get uh, confrontational with many of the people I interviewed. I did try to put them on the spot, and I think that served me well. Uh, I wanted them to shine, and they seemed to be pleased about it. I got to interview so many wonderful people, everybody from, you know, Cher to Sean Connery, and uh, it was just so exciting. Rodney Dangerfield, remember him? Of course I know Rodney. I knew Rodney. He lived down the street from us here on the Upper East Side, and his monologue often contained dog jokes and he used to walk his dog in his uh, bathrobe right out on the street here on York Avenue. People used to see him out there. He was uh, just a delightful guy. And uh, the dog jokes, of course, in his monologue, uh, one of them, he keeps barking at the door, doesn't want to go out. He wants me to leave. <laughs> so that was Rodney Dangerfield. But so many wonderful, wonderful people. You had Barbara Streisand, and she, in our world, is almost an impossible get. Yeah, she was not easy to interview, but always uh, very serious about her career. Once we uh, did an interview with her backstage at uh, one of the big Academy Awards, and uh, she told us, she said, what do people uh, want me to say when I do a great show or sing? Uh, she said, should I say thank you, lift my dress, give them money? <laughs> uh, it's every woman's dream to be some man's dream, she said. But, uh, but there you are. She said, I just knew with a mouth like mine I had to be a star or something. And she was. And Jane Fonda uh, told you that if she had to do it over, you know, that picture and whatever she had talked about in the early years haunted her for, and still does. Yes, it's amazing that she's still uh, going. I think she is ill. Uh, is it uh, breast cancer she now has? Yeah, but hopefully she's going to be fine. Yes, she said that she is uh, getting very, very good treatment and she's going to be all right. But uh, 
Jane Fonda was was a delight. I interviewed her several times, uh, and you know, she had tagged for many years as Hanoi Jane, and she told me that she'll go to her grave regretting that photo of her sitting on an anti-aircraft gun in Vietnam. But uh, you got to be proud of someone like that who still is doing it. Uh, how about Barbara Walters? She's 92. Uh, and uh, not Catherine Hepburn, uh, people like that. Uh, I once asked Walters if she regretted making people cry in some of her interviews. And she said, well, you know, if people about their childhood or a parent who died, uh, you talk to them about that, it happens. So she said, I have no regrets. Uh, Catherine Hepburn, uh, she once said, even a moron has no regrets. Yeah. I mean, amazing. And Jodie Foster, who's always been a person who sort of kept to herself. People know who she is, but they don't know a lot about her. And she was an interesting interview. Yeah, she was someone I always wanted to interview. And uh, I'm uh, trying to recall some of the, uh, the great things that uh, she said. Uh, my, my book, again, to remember That should be very interesting. And on the other hand, I mean, Mel Brooks, a very complicated man whose reputation is of a very difficult person. But then you've got Tom Hanks, who is Mr. Congeniality to a lot of his fans. And even you say that he was one of the easy ones. Tom Hanks, when uh, he was a young actor, uh, Joan, got a job appearing in what he called a knife rack movie that was filmed on Staten Island. Hank said he was paid 800 bucks. Boy, that was big the money back then. He said it was called the movie He Knows You're Alone. Uh, he said a woman in the kitchen, knife rack nearby, and a knife is missing. I told Hank he had that boy next door look. Yeah, he said, but what if the boy next door is Ted Bundy? <laughs> Uh, Hanks was one of the nicest actors to interview. Uh, his wife, Rita Wilson, was. And what about Arnold Schwarzenegger? Arnold Schwarzenegger, I interviewed him when he was first, uh, you know, starting to appear in movies. And uh, his uh, English wasn't the, the greatest, but he was uh, in the studio. So everyone wanted to meet him who saw me bring him in. Uh, Arnold was a, a delight. He was an easy interview. 
never had any uh, complaints uh, about him, but who knew what he was going to be as he as he got uh, more popular? Uh, I, I interviewed so many, you know, people, and they're all in this book. Uh, I interviewed playwright Arthur Miller once, who, as you remember, was married to Marilyn Monroe uh, after and uh, after Joe DiMaggio. Uh, and when I asked Miller about uh, Marilyn, he said, sorry, that's off limits. That's interesting. And the world has certainly changed since you started out and started covering all the awards from Academy Awards on. What does it look like you today? I mean, we just came through Oscars and Tonys and everything, and it was different. You know, it was almost like personal, but not in such a positive way. And we've seen, because of television and cable and everything, the whole entertainment world has changed. Everybody wants to be a star. They're all out there. Uh, we did not have uh, the uh, tabloid magazines and so forth back in my day and in your day, too, because you have been around uh, quite a long time. Uh, and uh, I'm sure that we have interviewed some of the, the same people, you know. Right. And, you know, Sometimes Jonah Starr would make a revelation, uh, which later came back to haunt me. Uh, Christopher Reeve was in my studio, I think it was the early 90s, and uh, he acknowledged that he was worried about the dangers of the sport he loved, jumping horses, uh, though he thought he was well-trained. Two years later, he became paralyzed from the neck down after that terrible fall, while show jumping at an exhibition. Uh, it's just so sad to see some of the, the great interviews yeah, people I've interviewed. Terrible. And on the other hand, you had uh, people like Pavarotti. And was that different from a lot of the other interviews that you had? I'm sorry, uh, say again? Pavarotti. Uh, I'm sorry. You you probably can't hear. But you had everyone from opera stars to Harry Belafonte to movie stars. When I was a kid, we had movie star magazines. And we just used to love, because we didn't have that much TV, so celebrities were a novelty. You well, know, yes, and, and once in a while you would see them on uh, the uh, Johnny Carson Tonight Show uh, way back in the early 70s, and uh, they were not there to promote things, Joan. Uh, they were just there because Johnny wanted them, and that was that was so fabulous to see someone like that, you know? Uh, Ed Asner, for uh, instance, who played Boot Grant, uh, you know, uh, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, I once asked him about acting and why he wanted to do it. He said, I think acting for me was therapy. I wasn't crazy about the person I was. And when I started acting, I thought I could be somebody I like better. I love that. It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it is very interesting. Yeah. And you hear that uh, often from a lot of actresses and actors, that they were shy or they were reclusive or they had a bad time coming of age and acting prevented this. They had a shield. They had a front. They could be anyone or anything. Yep. 
Uh, how about Billy Crystal? Uh, he once did a show in Moscow, and uh, the people there loved it. And uh, he once told me, he said, uh, they said, are there any more like you? And he said, there are plenty. So he really loved uh, doing that. And, of course, now we know what's happening with uh, Russia and the terrible war in, a, in the uh, uh, Ukraine. Uh, Crystal does great impressions, by the way. A favorite of uh, his is Howard Cosell. Boy, can he do that. And Howard had an office right next to mine. It was a, a joy to, to watch him. And uh, Howard, uh, you know, was popular on WABC. Do you know why? Tell me. Dan Ingram was one of the big DJs on WABC. And uh, Howard used to do his show from his home. We had a microphone, a setup there. And so before he started, the engineer would ask him, uh, how are you doing, Howard? How, how are things going? And sometimes Cosell would say, well, I just don't know. Uh, this is not going to be a good day for me. It's only a radio show. Well, the engineers would tape that and send it down to the WABC studios and give it to uh, Dan Ingram. And then Dan would introduce uh, the sportscast with Howard. Well, how you doing, Howard? Well, I don't know. This is not going to be a good day for me. Well, it was funny for a while, and Dan had a good time with it. Uh, and then one day, apparently Howard got in an argument with his wife, and they were going back and forth shouting a little bit. And the tape got on the air, and uh, uh, she found out about it, Howard's wife. She stormed into the studio over uh, at uh, 1926 Broadway. That's when we were across from Lincoln Center. And she got a hold of the engineer, and she says, don't you ever tape anything like that again. I'll have you fired. So that ended the, the Howard Cosell chats, uh, you know, with Dan Ingram. We even have some old tapes of that. Uh, That's funny. And uh, you could even play them if you want to. Well, those were the days, and it goes on. I'm talking to Bill Deal. We're talking about his book and paperback. It's Celebrity Chatter, 50 Years of Celebrity Chatter, all the time I interviewed a porn star naked. And I know oh, you've told that story before, but it is a funny story. And tell the audience what happened. Well, that's memorable of all my interviews. Joan, I had been at ABC. I was big-name correspondent, at least I thought I was. Uh, and I got there in 1971. I came from a fabulous New York station, WNEW, with William B. Williams, Ted Brown, a lot of the big names I'm sure you remember. Uh -huh. But in 1973, I'd only been at ABC at the network for about two years, and uh, the assignment manager said, we're sending you down to the Pussycat Cinema in Times Square. I said, Why? Well, uh, you've got to interview Marilyn Chambers. She had been appearing in the film Behind the Green Door, but she was also the uh, lovely-looking uh, young lady holding the baby on the ivory snowbox. And <laughs> Procter and Gamble found out that uh, she was a porn star. So That's here so I was 
and I was able to interview her. Her manager met me at the door. He said, I'll take you inside. Television people were down there then. They were doing interviews. This was a big story. And uh, so I go inside, and she is sitting on a podium, stark naked. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I said, is this it? Is this the only place? He said, if you want the interview, Bill, this is it. So there I am. A Reuters photographer uh, took a picture of us and sent it to me, and uh, I later got it interviewed. My wife said uh, I looked like a deer in the headlights. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and a claim to fame. Well, I hope you continue doing these interviews for a long time. Bill Deal, Celebrity Chatter, and everyone you've been concerned about or care about, our friend Judy Collins is in the book, You Downs, everyone. All the best to you. Yep, even Joan Rivers is in the book. Uh, yeah. She's long gone now, but Joan once said, you only regret the things you didn't do. And she said, I don't regret anything I've done. At least I've done it. I tried. I think that's a good feeling for all of us. I know. It is. And all the best to you. Take Thank care. you, Joan. Always great to be on your show. I'm Joan Hamburg. You're listening to WABC. More to come. Hey, take care, everybody. The First Lady of New York Radio. This is Ask Joan. You know, uh, I go out to the East End very often. And this summer, even now, as the summer's passed, you go down to the beach and the whales are everywhere. They're popping out of the ocean. And dolphins, too. I can't believe what's going on. People say it's from climate change, but they're so close to shore. You feel like you can reach your hand out and touch them. So I was reading something the other day and discovered that there is a New York whale and dolphin watching Adventure Cruise you want something great to do on a weekend or you've got a few spare hours? It's on something called The American Princess at 2498 Emons Avenue in Brooklyn, 718-474-0555, AmericanPrincessCruises.com. Who knew you could go whale watching in Brooklyn and I read a piece that I actually clipped from the New York Post, and it told me all about this little adventure. The cruise runs about 3.5 hours and departs from Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn, Pier 3. And I, for me, it was new, but it's been around for 13 years. This year, they couldn't believe themselves how many sightings of whales and dolphins they saw that I said, well, you know, I don't want to tell people to go and then nothing happens. They said for the past few years, they have seen them 95 to 97% of the time. And on their website and Facebook page, they post what they see every day. For example, a recent Friday they spotted 200 bottlenose dolphins, three humpback whales. Unbelievable. And they found them swimming together. So it's really amazing 
The trips are Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday through October, Saturday and Sunday through November at noon. You can just get tickets on the day, but I'm going to recommend a reservation because it's first come, first served. If the weather's bad or the captain feels it's not good to go out, they can be canceled. So you really want to make a reservation. The boat is large. It has a 250-person capacity with a lot of viewing areas, heated guys, and there's a naturalist aboard to educate and guide you. It's 65 for adults, 62 for older people, kids 5 to 12, 45, and young kids are free. They sail from Sheepshead Bay, Brooklyn on Pier 3, and right across the street from Applebee's. There's street parking in the area and a garage on Shore Parkway and 21st Street. There's a concession stand, a beverage bar, but... You can't bring your own food. A lot of people get stuck and they bring their coolers and they're not allowed. You can bring a sandwich and a small stack. Go to AmericanPrincessCruises.com or 718-474-0555. And now I'm looking at the clock and it's 3 o'clock. So we'll do this again. We do this every Sunday starting at 2. But... Enjoy all the great programs on WABC. You've got a lot of Sunday left. So it's ABC on your dial. Enjoy. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. 